0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. You would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 15. As you're turning there today, we are going to talk on a topic that I could probably talk about every week. Every pastor has one or two of those themes that they could talk about over and over and over and it would be super fresh in their hearts. And this is one of those topics today that we're going to talk about is something that is incredibly personal to me. In fact, early on with my daughters, I would sit them down and I would across the table or sit them on my lap And I even remember that as holding them as babies, and my job was to put them down at night, and my job when they started going to school was to take them to school in the morning. Those were two of my set tasks. I'm the one that put them down mainly. Tamara got them up and did almost everything else. I mean, she's amazing. But I got to put them down. I'd pray for them, and I would say as a baby, love Jesus with your whole heart love Jesus, and I would pray over them and just lay my hands on them and pray, and I'd pray over the little little boys that they were going to date when they got older, that they were going to marry, and oh, that still just turns my stomach to think that they're going to hold a boy's hand and, you know, and marry, you know, I'm just joking, just giving your daughters away, But now I still tell them today, love Jesus with all of your heart. And I've added something to it and read the Bible. Love Jesus and read the Bible. And so for us, loving Jesus is so easy, but sometimes we make it hard. And I want to just talk about this whole thing of falling in love with Jesus, developing this personal walk with God. And in Luke chapter 15, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. In fact, The prodigal son is this incredibly well-known passage. In fact, it's in pop culture. You hear it referenced in movies or in television, that it is an incredibly well-known story of the Bible. We've taught it hundreds of times, that if you've been in church very long at all, you've heard the story of the prodigal son. In fact, it's it's almost, in many ways, as well-known as David and Goliath as Jonah in the well, as even the cross, or Daniel in the lion's den. The one difference is that those are historical narratives and the prodigal son is a parable. It's a story. The others were historical. This is a story that Jesus told. And so many of us could tell the story. There's two sons and they're living with their dad. And one of the sons hates his life and he hates his father, and he hates this circumstance. And he goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, can you give me your, my inheritance? I know you're alive, but would you give me my, my inheritance as if you're dead? So, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you give me my inheritance as if you were dead? Culturally, that's what was happening. He hated his father, and he asked for his inheritance, and he wanted it now. And so the dad gave him what he asked for. The dad gives him his inheritance and he leaves and he goes off and he wastes all that he had on parties and on prostitutes and on booze. And if you read the story, it lends us to believe that whatever you could imagine is what this young man did as he ran far, far, far from his father. And there came a moment where he ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, so it, ha- it so happens that there was also a famine in the land. And it became so bad that he ends up Working for a farmer feeding pigs. Now, culturally, they weren't even supposed to be around pigs, much less working with pigs and feeding pigs. But you know what happens is that sin takes you places that you never intended to go and you never wanted to go because it's never just that action. It always begins to compound when you've chased the things of the world. And it becomes so bad And he becomes so hungry that he begins to crave the food that he was feeding to the pigs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to a pig farm. Have you ever been around pigs? Man, it is disgusting. The way they smell and the sounds they make and the things they do and how they roll around and things. I mean, the stench in the air is terrible. And he is so hungry and so desperate that he begins to long for the food that he would throw in the trough or throw in the pen that these pigs were eating. I mean, you've got to be desperate to be in that situation. (laughs) And he wakes up one morning and he realizes, my dad's servants live better than I live. My dad's servants live better than me. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna ask my dad, will he let me be a servant? And he begins to go home and he starts heading to the house. And the image is this that we get in the story is that the father is sitting on the porch and he's longing to see his son. It's not that he's going, it's not that he's forgotten and he's off doing his own thing, and oh, his son wanders up to the house. Oh, it's good to see you. No, no, no. The image that we get is of the, is of the father sitting on the porch longing for his son to come home. He's looking over the horizon, he's looking down the road. And he sees his son come, and he runs out, and he embraces him. It is this joyous moment for a father as he grabs his son, and he brings him close. And as they end their embrace, and the father takes him by the shoulders to lean back and look at his son, the son goes, Dad, can I, can I just be a servant in your house? I know I've blown it. Can I just be a servant? And his dad says, Nonsense. Nonsense. And he puts a ring on his finger and a robe over his shoulders. And he looks at his servants and says, prepare the fatted calf. We are throwing a party today because my son was lost, but now he's found. It's this incredible image of of God's love. In fact, wrapped up in this passage are all kinds of theological truths. Wrapped up in this passage are all kinds of truths about the character and the nature of God. But today, I want us to focus on the second half of this passage. So today, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 25, and let's read some of this together. Beginning in verse 25, it says this. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. So he called, again, the older brother called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. The servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. He has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. If you have your Bibles, underline that passage. Something that we don't really talk about that much, but it's something that's really important here. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answers his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes and who's come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The dad goes on and replies, my son, you were always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He's lost and now he's found. And so often in this passage, we focus on the brother coming home. We focus on the father accepting him. We focus on forgiveness and on grace and God's love and a father's love. And rightfully so, those are all true They're all incredible. They are all massive theological truths for us to understand that we we can go away and God pursues and he waits. And when we come home, he embraces us. Those are all true. But today I want us to focus on verse 31. When the father replies to the eldest son, he's saying, you were always with me and everything I had was always yours. So I want you to walk with me for just a moment. The elder brother is angry. He saw the other, younger brother walk away. He saw him bring shame upon the family. He saw him waste, waste his father's inheritance. And he probably had some, some emotion of, hey, now my inheritance is at risk. That the ability, not only for my inheritance to be is now half or whatever percentage that would be, but also now there is potential for loss and less ability to compound my inheritance. So So he thinks we brought shame, you hurt my father, you damaged our family, and you probably damaged my financial future as well. And so he's angry. He's angry. He's not happy at all. So he sees him go away. He saw all of that and he said, hey, I've never done that to you, Dad. The older brother is again mad. He said he did all this stuff and yet you threw a party for him. And here's where the truth comes out. Here's where the truth comes out. He says, and you never threw me a party. I want you to capture this just for a moment. That statement is huge. I never got a party. I never got what I wanted. Dad, I've been slaving, not serving with you, not loving. I've been slaving for you, and I never got a party. Doesn't that sound selfish to you? But in the in the older brother's mind, he's thinking. I am so justified here. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And yet you never threw me a party. Can't you just hear the, (laughs) just a little wine coming out. Get him some cheese with that wine. (laughs) And the dad says this, but everything I've had all along has been yours. You could have had it at any moment. I would have gladly given it to you at any moment. And so what the dad is really saying, I want you to capture this. This is where we're going. He said, you had the chance to be intimate and personal and close with me this whole time. Nothing's been withheld. You could have had everything I had from the very beginning. So what I want you to capture, it shows several things, is that the older brother is home, but he's not intimate with his father. He's home, but he's missing out on that intimate relationship with dad. So he's in the home, doing the chores, going about business, keeping the rules. He's around the father, but not in intimate relationship with him. He's familiar, but not engaged. Familiar, but not engaged. He's familiar with dad, but not engaged with dad. And so today, I want to ask you, does that sound similar or at all close to what happens to us sometimes in church? That we're around the things of God, but not engaged with God. That we're intimately, uh, we're not intimately engaged with him, but we're around the things. And so we're here, we're keeping the rules, we're doing the chores, we're serving on the dream team, we're doing the chores, but here's the deal, we're not intimate and we're not engaged, we're around the Father, but not intimate relationship. You see, familiar with the things of God, but not engaged with the Father. I want you to notice that familiarity and intimacy are not the same thing. Familiarity and intimacy are not the same thing. Now, familiarity and intimacy both have value. They both play a role for sure, but they are not the same thing. And That in marriage, I wanna tell you, familiarity is, is just absolutely gonna happen. You know, pre-marriage when you, you know, you're dating and and all that type stuff, like early on, Tamara didn't even want to brush her teeth with me in the same bathroom because she didn't want to see all the little toothpaste on her face. And so she wouldn't brush her teeth in front of me. And, and, And then, I mean, but, you know, 26 years in now, I mean, it's all game, right? She seen me sick. She, okay, so here I, I had back surgery at Christmas, and for eight weeks I couldn't even put on my own shoes. She's putting my socks on. I mean, have you seen my toes? I mean, it's like corn chips from all the years of athletics. They're all, I mean, is she, so it's like I, we've seen it all. I've seen her legs not shaved. Familiar. Someone's in the back row going. Thanks Dan. <laughs> Familiarity is going to happen. Intimacy has to be worked for. Familiarity happens just by by time, but intimacy is something that is pursued. Intimacy is something that we deliberately seek out that is opened up to and then responded to. Familiarity brings a degree of ease and comfort, but intimately uh, intimacy searches for deep understanding and for personal appreciation. And so in our walk with God, that we can be in the church and it develops a degree of familiarity in our heart and it causes us to be at ease in the church, but God never called us to be familiar. He calls us to be intimate with him. He never calls us just to be comfortable in our chair and comfortable in our seat. He calls us to be intimate with him to where we are calling out saying, God, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. God, I will follow you. And God, here's the greatest fears I have. God, what are the greatest truths you want to tell me? Intimacy over familiarity. Love Jesus. Love is more than, hey, I love my dog, and I've got a great dog. No, no, no. I love my wife, and I'm committed to her, and I've sought her out, that God never calls us to familiarity, but to intimacy. God is calling us to a deep understanding of who he is and a deep appreciation and gratitude for what he has done and what his nature is for us. To experience all that he has for us. Do not settle. The oldest son was missing some things in this story. Though he was familiar with his father, he was missing out on the heart of his father, which was rejoicing over the return of his brother. He should have been rejoicing at what his father rejoiced over And though he was around his father, he was missing the blessings of his father, of celebrating with him and having a time with him. He was missing the joy of being his father's son who was willing to give him everything. He was around him, and he was familiar with him, but he wasn't close and personal with him. Guys, today I want to tell you, let's never settle for being familiar with God. Let's never settle for being familiar with God. That we push in, we lean in for intimacy. We embrace closeness with God. And so today, I want us to enjoy the, clo- the, the, the benefits of being close to God. His empowerment, the infilling of his Holy Spirit in our life that empowers us for life and for ministry and for purity and for holiness. That we enjoy the, the, the benefits of intimacy with joy of the Lord. Man, I want to have joy. I don't want to just survive. I want to have joy. The intimacy of the father to where we realize what we've been forgiven of and we're able to walk through life not holding grudges with others. How many of you in here have ever held a grudge? Man, I grew up the king of grudge holding. Man, I could hold a grudge and we, I mean, I could bring it up. Late. I mean, I was the king of grudge holding. But as you walk in intimacy with God, you understand from what we've been forgiven and suddenly the ability to hold a grudge, it either takes you further away from God or closer to him in that sense of intimacy. We enjoy the benefits of his strength because God intended our lives with him to be intimate. Don't ever settle for familiar. And why would we? Why would we settle for familiar when we can enjoy intimacy and all the blessings of walking closely with God? But how do we do that? How do we experience intimacy? If you wanna take notes, they'll be on the screen today, but there's just four things I want us to walk through over the next few moments. First thing, we begin to walk in intimacy when we know that our Father loves you no matter who you are. That we're loved. The younger son was willing to be a servant, but the dad brings him back and he puts a ring on his finger. He puts a robe on his back. He threw a celebration. The father loved the, the, the prodigal son regardless. And then I love that he loves the elder son, even though the elder son pouted. He was close, but he was distant in his emotion, close in proximity. He was angry, yet the father loved him. He's saying, everything that I have, I've wanted to give you all along. And so maybe today you need to know that God loves you regardless. You need to know that God loves you regardless, even if you consider yourselves a sinner. You say, I've done too much. Have you ever felt that way, that I've done too much, this could never be forgiven, that there are people that still live with condemnation of their past, even though God has forgiven them? And here's what the scripture says in Isaiah 118. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they will be white as wool. I want you to know that once you come into relationship with Jesus, you are cleansed you are forgiven, you are whole, everything that was, that was destroyed with the enemy, you now have restored emotionally, spiritually, in every way. There is restoration in Jesus, and the past is gone. Everybody say gone. gone. Your past is gone. Now, conviction is different than condemnation. Once you've been forgiven, you don't have to live in condemnation anymore. So you need to know that even if you consider yourself a sinner, God loves you. Once Jesus has forgiven you, you are new. Draw close. That God loves you even if you consider yourself unworthy. Maybe today in this room you've experienced abuse as a child or in a relationship at some point. And that there were words spoken over you that have damaged you emotionally. And has damaged your self-worth. And I want you to know that God wants to heal those hurts, calm those fears, restore those emotions. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you so much. That you may not feel like you've lived up to your potential. That life isn't going how you thought it would. That you feel unworthy. But God loves you. Do you know that God knew your limitations before he sovereignly called you to follow him? That God knew your shortcomings before he ever convicted your heart to pursue him? That God knew the areas of your life where you were weak and you were strong, and yet he called you anyway. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. you. And we can walk in intimacy, and we need to understand that the Father loves us no matter what. That he loves us, even if we feel like our sins can never be forgiven or forgotten, that I can't get past my past. It says this in Micah 7:19. This is a great verse, that he'll have compassion on us, He'll subdue our iniquities, He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Your past is just that, it's your past. It's your past. George, your past is your past. The next thing we need to understand is this, that we'll grow in intimacy with God when knowing that we don't have to do anything to win his love. So what did the younger son do? He went off and he wasted his inheritance. And you know what the dad said? Son, I'll love you when you pay me back. No, no, no. He embraced him, and he said, you're my son. And you know what he said to the elder son? He goes, son, when you grow up and you quit pouting, I'll love you then. You just quit that pouting, boy. Get that lip up. Move on, and I'll love you at that point. No, 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 no. He said, son, everything I have is yours all along. Son, I love you. That both of his children, he loved them, and that there's nothing that they could have done to win their father's love. This isn't a, a, a you scratch my back I scratch your back type of situation with God. God's love for us is never ending. It is pursuing you and chasing you and loving you and drawing you close for God is not about keeping score. It's not about if you impress me enough. That salvation is a gift that you cannot earn. It's a gift that's given. Now, discipleship is tough, but you can never have God love you anymore, and you can never have God love you any less. God loves you with all of him, loving all of you, desiring to move you forward in a relationship with him to reach your destiny for which he created you. Does that make sense today? That God, you can't. Make him love you more, and you can't make him love you less. He already did it all on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved you already. Then he showed it by bearing the wrath of our sin on the cross. Now, this isn't really the warm, fuzzy thing right here, Matt. Matt. This isn't where like, hey, we were headed for hell and we deserved wrath and we were going to be punished. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? No, no. But what he did, it's a terrible story until you realize the cross. He bore that on himself so that we did not get what we deserved. Instead, we get a grace because of his love that he demonstrates his love for us on the cross. And so we can do nothing to earn his love and we grow in intimacy when we understand that we don't have to earn it. We already have his love as much as he can possibly love us. The third thing I want us to capture today is that we're gonna grow in intimacy. Again, the whole thing is loving Jesus with your whole heart. Loving Jesus with your whole heart. We're gonna grow in intimacy when he knows, or knowing that he shares everything with you. He shares everything. I recently performed a wedding ceremony. And in fact, it was not long ago, and it was was Forrest Schultz, who was a worship leader here years ago. And so we go through counseling, and we go through the marriage, the wedding ceremony, and we do all of that, and it's, It's really interesting that we have a cultural saying that marriage is 50-50. And we all know that it's not 50-50. It's not meeting in the middle it's not, I mean, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, whatever. I mean, we are miles apart many times. And so if I'm here and Tamara's there, I'm giving all of myself. I'm not meeting in the middle. I'm going all the way and giving all of myself to her. And she's not meeting in the middle. She is coming all the way and giving all of herself to me. And that everything that I have becomes hers. And everything that's hers becomes mine. And in the same way, when we come into relationship with Jesus, everything that God has becomes ours. And everything that I have, sin and shame and anger and insecurity and bitterness and grudges, all of those things that we give to him. And in place, we get joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self control, which says there's not laws against those things. Because why should there be? Because those are noble things. That we get those things. And in this divine trade of God giving us, sharing with us everything He is and everything He has, we win. We win. We win in this trade that he shares with us everything, and because he shares, I can grow in intimacy because I can trust him and receive the joy and the blessing of serving him. First Corinthians 2 says this, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That God has doesn't have secrets. He's going to reveal his love and reveal his power and reveal his grace to us on a daily basis. Uh, Then it says this in 1 Corinthians 4.11. It says, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ as those who entrusted with the secret things of God. So lean into God. He's going to reveal things to you. He's going to share with you. Don't settle for familiarity when we can lean into intimacy. Don't settle for just being around the things of God. Instead, lean into the presence of God because it's so much better. I don't, want any, I don't want us ever to just say, I want to be around and there's something calming about it. No, we jump into the presence of God and the relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Intimacy with the Father. Don't you think the best friend relationship is so much better when you're intimate, when you're close, when you can tell them whatever and they listen I think marriage is so much better when you are intimate with one another, that you're so close, you share your secrets and your hurts and your fears and, you, and your joys and your celebrations. It's so much better when you're instead sort of around you're close and leaning in to the things of God. I want our relationship to be full of His purity, his freedom. His power, the things of him. And if we know that God is good, why would we ever settle for familiar? Finally, in growing in intimacy, we will do that when we know that he will always stand by you. The father didn't reject his son when he came home. I want you to picture it, that as the father is sitting there, and he sees his son come down the road, and he sees him walking, and suddenly, all of a sudden, in the distance, he sees a figure coming, and he looks and he strains his eyes, and suddenly he sees him getting close. And he comes, you know, comes near, and the son says, Dad, I just want to be a servant. The dad's like, Oh, whatever. Come on in. Don't come in. I don't care. No, you want to know what he did? He goes, My son! My son is home! My son is home! Here, here, here's a ring, here's a robe. Servants, servants, get get the calf ready, get him ready. This is my boy! My boy! My boy! This is my son! This is my son! This is my son! We look just alike. He puts his arm around him, and he says, this is my boy. This is my son. Here's the ring. Here's the robe. Servants, get it ready. Tonight we are celebrating. He was dead, but it was alive. He's lost, and now he's found. This is my son, my son, my son, my son. I will always stand with him. But he, but he took your money, but he made mistakes. This is my son. We don't live in fear. We don't live in separation. We don't live with familiarity. We're not called to live in familiarity. We're called to live with intimacy with Jesus. Knowing he is going to stand with us. Knowing he is going to be there with us. Knowing that his call is upon our lives and he has a destiny for us. He stands with us. But I've blown it. So what? Lean into the Father. Lean into our relationship with God. Not familiar, familiar. You know what familiar is? It's a man hug. Yo, what's up? Intimacy is, man, I love you. I love you. This is my son. This is my son. It's two very different things. That will grow in intimacy. Intimacy settling for familiar and we lean in knowing that there is a God who loves you regardless he loves you he's going to stand by you he's never going to leave you he's never going to forsake you that he is there with you in fact Joshua 1 5 it says this that no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. How was God with Moses? How was He with Moses? That when He walked up into the mountain, God showed him His presence, and he walked down with the Ten Commandments. How was it with Moses that he had a fire to guide them at night and a cloud by day? Well, why is that significant? Not only was it light in the in the dark of the night, but it was also warmth in the cold of the desert. In the day, when it got hot, it was shade to guide them and it protect them. As he was with Moses, so he's with you, Joshua but with us. Though others will forsake, God never will. Psalms 27.10, it says, Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God is standing right by you in your greatest moments of victory. God is standing right by you in your lowest moments of fear, defeat, or heartbreak. God is standing with you. Satan would want to accuse you. Satan would want to isolate you. Satan would want to separate you. Satan would want to defeat you. But Jesus has come that we have life and we have life abundantly. That God is standing with you. He's standing for you. He's fighting for your life. He's working in your life and he's working through your life. He's going to stand with you regardless, that you are not alone. And today we need to go grow in intimacy. <laughs> we get so distracted and it's easy to pull away. But you know that zebras, that there's no two zebras that have the same stripe pattern. In fact, there is unique a stripe pattern per zebra as a fingerprint or a retinal scan, that no two are the same. And it's particularly unique right in the forehead area between the eyes of the zebra. And so when a baby foal is born, the foal and the mother, they actually leave the herd and go into the wilderness. And they go off by themselves and they hide. And what they do is they spend time staring into the eyes of one another. And they look at each other foal becomes incredibly familiar with the pattern on the mom's face right here. And then they stand beside each other, and the foal stares at all the mom's stripes on the side. And it's a time of bonding. It's a time of, of, of developing that relationship between mom and foal. So what happens is, when the foal finally fully recognizes mom and knows every pattern and every stripe on her, only then will they go back to the herd. So that when there's a time and they need protection, the foal knows exactly where to go. When that needs nourishment, the foal knows exactly where to go. When it's nervous and needs the comforting, she, the foal knows exactly where to go because it is incredibly familiar and intimate with its mother. Because they've spent time studying the characteristics of mom. And guys, for us, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to go about life, show up to church, to be just rhythmic instead of intimate. Today, what I believe the Lord is speaking to us, it's time for us to get away, to go off into the wilderness, away from all the distractions of the herd, and bond with God to become familiar with the characteristics and the nature of God, to know him so well that when we need provision, we run to God. When we need comfort, we run to God. When we need protection, we run to God. When we're worried, we run to God because we know that he's here and we know that he's ready to embrace us, that he's standing with us and that we know, we know that it's it's, it's more than just being around, it's being engaged with and we've known his, his nature to be true. So that's the challenge for today is that we don't ever grow familiar, but instead intimate. Bonding, growing, getting closer to God so that in the everyday life we're not distracted by all the other things out there. And instead we stay close to God and we grow in his love and we grow in his grace and we grow in his characteristics. Like I want us to be so intimate with God that the atheists around us doubt their convictions because they see the goodness of God in us. Does that that make sense? Now, I want us to be intimate and familiar with God, but ultimately that carries over to the world around us that we're not called to live it out here. We're called to live it out there. This is a recharge, a refresh, a whatever. This is a part of the family. This is family gathering. This is bringing new people into the family. And then we live it out, but intimately connected to God. So here's the question today. Have we settled for familiar over leaning into intimacy? Is that a fair question? So I want us to pray together for just a moment. And if I cross the room, would you, just, would you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just one moment? Is there anyone here today that say, hey, you know what, I've settled for familiar, and I want to return or get to, or I want to be intimate with our Heavenly Father. That I don't want to settle for being around the things of God, I want to be engaged with God. I don't want to settle for being comfortable in church. I want to be engaged with our Heavenly Father in such a deep personal relationship that it is the driving force of life. It is the source of provision and joy. So today, if you say, hey, I've settled for familiar, and I want to be engaged with the Father. Or I want to be intimate again, whatever the case may be. If that's you today, would you raise your hand across the auditorium that we can pray together? Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anyone else today? Come on, heads bowed, eyes closed, believers calling out to the Lord. Say, I want to be, I want things to be fresh, intimate. stand with me today with heads bowed hearts seeking the Lord today if you say I've settled for familiar but I want to be intimate then I want to ask you what steps you need to lean into to allow God to bring you to that intimate point for the youngest son it was a feeling of self worth that he didn't feel like he deserved it he said I'll be a servant I'll be around I'll serve but the father was saying you're my son for the eldest son it was a Matter of forgiveness and a matter of bitterness and a matter of just being around but not engaged. What steps do you need to take? Love Jesus and read your Bible. That's the that's my short for our daughters. Love Jesus and read your Bible. What steps do you need to take? your hand today, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand over your heart for just a moment, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you need to put your hand over your heart today. I'm I'm just going to pray that our hearts would lean into the things of God. Father, I pray today that every man and woman who raised their hands, Lord, would lean into you. They would never settle for familiarity. Instead, they would lean into the things of God. They would lean into relationship with you. They would lean in, Lord God, to your love and your grace. Lord, you love us no matter what, God. That Lord, you are you're you gonna stand with us, Lord Jesus. That your love and grace is so absolutely amazing, Father. Even when we feel unworthy, your love is calling us. So I pray, Lord, that we would walk in intimacy and not familiarity. That we would walk, Lord Jesus, leaning into the things of God. So that we can experience your power and your peace and your grace and your joy. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me close with this one last story. I didn't have it in my notes, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell it. That over the last year, I participated in a Billy Graham cohort that was hosted at our church and a pastor from another church in our in our city is the largest one in our region was a part of this and he and I began to spend time together and so I just was asking about his church because they're known as this incredible soul-winning church and they had just finished a study on the 6,000 people in their church and then it was on who was growing spiritually So we tend to think, you know, those who go through growth track or those who go through starting point or those who are at church every Sunday morning and they have a significant starting point class and a growth track and they have all these things. But they found the only common denominator between people growing spiritually was those that read their Bible every day. And so they are revamping their entire church, thousands of people, their growth track, they're still going to have it, their starting point, they're still going to have it, their classes they are still going to have it, Sunday morning service, they're still going to have it, but they're revamping everything to get people in those settings to simply start reading their Bible, because they said all of our teaching doesn't really matter, Is people reading their Bible as is is those who are growing spiritually. Part of intimacy with the Lord is engaging with Him the things that will help you know Him better. So Grace Hill, read your Bibles and lean into the things of God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.